So we have a reading from Mark chapter 1. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Good morning. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I'm, I'm Matt. I'm part of the um, pastoral team here. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm married to Rachel. Uh, we have three daughters whom I affectionately like to refer to often as the lady tribe. And uh, we have Evie, who's 10, uh, Amara, who's 8, going on 18, and we have Thea, who's 6. And we, as collectively as a family, are only just recovering from the sleep deprivation and the severe heat of Festival 1. But I have to say, it is totally, totally worth it. Uh, great music, great bands, uh, so great getting to know some of the St. Paul's Fano better here who came along, so good for that. And also just getting some really solid input, actually, for your faith. Uh, and for your life. So if you've been experiencing FOMO from some of your friends who've been, I mean, telling you all the great experiences they've had from that weekend, can I just say, I fully recommend you that, that you come along next year. And the reason I mention that now at this point in the, in the stage of things is there's uh, crazy early bird prices on their website right now for next year. You won't get any cheaper than that. I'll end my shameless plug right now and move on with the sermon. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, as we uh, hear stories about you, at work in people's lives, would you awaken our hearts? Uh, Would you speak to each one of us? And would you help us to know uh, what you're calling us to do and who you are calling us to be? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So a couple of weeks ago, Johnny spoke about a key theme for us as a church this year. And it goes a little something like this. Know the story. Tell the story. And probably most importantly, Be the story. Uh, This morning, I want to pick up on this theme and kind of focus in on how we can better understand God's call for you this year. Before I uh, give you my take on that, though, I want to start with some stories from the news last year that you may or may not have come across. Here's the first one. This one occurred during the raging bushfires in Aussie last year where smoke drifted across to Aotearoa. Uh, and it turned our sky, particularly in Auckland City, to a lovely yellowy orange color. Anyone remember that? Yeah, if you, you must have been inside if you didn't remember that one. Then there was extremely wet weather down in the South Island. Mass flooding all over the show. Hundreds had to evacuate their homes. I feel really sorry for the two people in those two cars going, which way are you going, bro? Uh, oh, that way. Oh, oh cool. <laughs> and then they just kind of hanging out and talking for a bit like awkward silence and shoes. Then there was this guy, Taika Waititi. He smashed it. He got a BAFTA and an Oscar for the movie Jojo Rabbit. Fantastic movie. And then because of COVID, there's a whole lot of Kiwis coming back to New Zealand and collectively helped us to get our population up to 5 million for the first time in ever last March. And then overseas, we had Brexit finally happened, and that was closely followed by Megxit. Harry and Megan, yes, right, they decided to step down as senior working royals 
Then there was Kim Jong-un. Everyone thought there was a massive rumor that went around for a while. He's dead. Well, he's not. He's still alive, just in case you're still holding on to that conspiracy theory. Uh, then there was this plague of locusts that caused widespread destruction across Africa and the Middle East. For some regions, the, an invasion of this scale hadn't been seen for over 70 years. Farmers lost their crops. Villagers lost their food supplies. I think 2020 was actually not just the year of COVID. It was the year of the insect. Uh, this insect is the world's largest hornet. It's called the murder hornet. Uh, it was given its name because of its appetite for honeybees in terms of not for the honey, but eating the bees. And also sometimes it's fatal sting to people, to humans, and was found in the US last year. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about just that kind of collective swipe of stories there, it kind of feels like we're living in Old Testament times, right? Or some weird, freaky, apocalyptic end times movie. And I think some of these stories, most of these stories, when you think about it, really fill us with a sense of hope or pers- like true perspective or, or meaning on, on what this is all about and why we're here. And I think, too, the more and more we read these kind of stories, I think if you're anything like me, the more anxious, the more vulnerable, more uncertain we can become and feel. I want to say this morning, and I know you know this, but these are not the only stories that we have available to us to remind us of who we are, what we are really a part of as Christians. There are stories that speak of a far greater and truer reality that point to a good and trustworthy God who's actually on the move right now. He's changing people's lives that show us, as we heard in our passage, that the kingdom of God has actually come really close and is at hand and is near. Last December, millions of people watched on BBC News in the UK a story about this guy. His name is Pastor McFleming. Uh, He feeds with other pastors and other people and clothes uh, the poor in Burnley. This is in the northwest of England. Now, most of Mick's life was not like this at all. Most of his life, he was a dangerous, violent drug user and drug dealer until a single moment completely changed his life and the direction of his life. So he was in his 40s, he was waiting outside a gym Uh, For someone to emerge, he was waiting in a stolen car. As he did, that was his practice. The engine was still running. Now, he was the man that others would ring to sort out their debts for him. He's the go-to guy. They would call him. So by the time he got a call, it meant someone was heavily in debt to someone equally dangerous, and they were about to get hurt. And I mean not just like, you know, hurt, like really badly hurt. And in sharing his story, Last year in December, he said, my gun was in a plastic carrier bag on the passenger seat of the car. It was wrapped tightly. There were no DNA prints uh, that would be left behind because of the plastic bag around the gun. Six bullets, spring-loaded, it never fails, every single time. So it's clear what he was there to do, right? And then he says this, "I uh, I watched the guy walk out of the gym. By this time... But this time it was different. He had two young children with him, two young blonde girls around five or six years old with him. So he got out of the car. He started walking towards the guy. He reached into his pocket to grab the plastic, which was wrapped around the gun, to do what he was there to do. And then he looked again at the children, and then he looked at their faces and their blonde hair and these innocent kids' lives. And then he said, then it just happened. He said, 
that there was a blinding light that came from one of the children's hands, completely blinding him. He didn't know what on earth was happening to him. Uh, he, he, he knew for certain, though, this was the moment, moment that actually changed his life forever as he looks back. He says, I collapsed. He struggled back to get into the car. He felt sick. He was shaking all over. His heart was almost like pounding out of his chest. He could hear his pulse as if it was going on in his head. And he used to like, I did not know what was happening to me. I had no idea. I was freaking out. He said, I wanted to die. I just had enough. He said, Mick, this is what he said. He grabbed the gun. He pushed it to his chin, still wrapped in plastic, and he pulled the trigger. And nothing happened. It didn't fire, and he just broke down into floods and floods of tears. They actually just wouldn't stop falling. And he started to feel incredibly sick again. See, Mick was suffering at that point in his life a complete breakdown. His violent past was catching up with him, and this is the end of decades and decades of pain and damage. What you won't know about this guy is that he'd been running for years and years and years from a devastating sexual assault that happened to him in a park by a stranger when he was just 11 years old. And before he could tell his parents about what happened to him, pretty much within a day or so of that um, attack and assault, his older sister died suddenly and unexpectedly within the day of the attack. And his parents were so grief-stricken that he felt he couldn't say anything to them at the time. And he said, that was the moment that my childhood ended. A life disfigured in 48 hours, to use his words. He said, drugs were my solution, and that was my introduction. But with this dependency came criminality as well. So when Mick found himself outside that gym with that gun wrapped in that plastic and having this breakdown within 24 hours, he found himself sectioned under the Mental Health Acts. And his new home was the Burnley Psychiatric Unit. And it was there that Mick met a guy who was a pastor called Tony who would visit the, the unit regularly. And they started to chat. And uh, this guy, Tony, listened. Then they started to pray together. And then Mick started to be able to kind of share what, have, what had been going on. He started to feel again for the first time in years. Then he started to kind of actually help other people. And for him, it was the end of a troubled life and the beginning of a new one of, of hope. So today you'll find Pastor Mick with the Charity Church on the Street Ministries in Burnley, with, the most, those, with those most in need, those who are homeless, drug users, the hungry. And you may not realize this about Burnley, but it's actually one of the most deprived local authority districts in the whole of England. And there's more to this incredible story. So 10 years ago, Mick befriended um, a homeless alcoholic guy just outside a takeaway shop. And Mick just listened to him and he, he cared for him. Over time, he helped him to get sober. And he also helped him to reunite with his family. And then that man died two years later in a way more peaceful and content place than he was before that. And then Mick said this in this story. He said, I, what I never told him, the homeless guy, or his family, or the police, was that he was the man who sexually assaulted me as a child. And he said, why? I knew that I'd been forgiven for my past. I didn't do what he had done, but still I'd done terrible things. But I felt forgiven, and I just didn't want to live in his sin. And this is why I'm free. 
I'm not spending my life in torment anymore. He said, it's redemption. Mick's story may not be your story exactly, but it is a story, I think, of a powerful testimony of transformation, of healing, of a new life that only God can bring about in someone else's life. It's a testimony of how God can kind of take anything that happens in people's lives, especially the most broken and damaged parts of people's lives, the most painful things that happened, and somehow use them and transcend them for his good plans and purposes for their lives. And as Frances shared here in the service last week with her prophecy, that God is a God who can restore and renew those devastated places of our lives. I heard this quote earlier in the week. It says, to return evil for good is demonic. To return good for good, well, that's just human, right? To return good for evil, that is the way of Jesus. And I think, man, that is mixed story right there in a quote, isn't it? A life that was about dishing out evil for evil that had been done to him. You can kind of understand it, right? It makes sense to a life somehow that dramatically shifts to doing good even to the very person who had given you, like, handed out the most evil you could think of to you. So this is a story for me, like our passage about calling, calling someone out of a life of darkness to a light of life and love and, and possibility and service. And I guess my sense this morning is that is what God is wanting to do for all of us. God is actually calling us into new things or to new ministries, or to new vocations that demonstrate, that show tangibly his redemption, his restoration to those around us. And I think you and I, we're living in a time, aren't we, a unique time where it's so important to not only know the story, the big story of God, or the kingdom being made visible here on earth, but that we choose to somehow actively engage with it to somehow try to live this thing out in tangible and in practical ways, as Emma was saying a few weeks ago. And then as Sally said last week, this begins with making more space somehow for the presence of God in our lives. It means returning to God again, relearning what it looks like to actually have a real relationship with God, to bring those parts of us that are not fully alive to Him, before Him, and do some business actually with God. So in today's gospel, we hear these words from Jesus, don't we, that this, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come close and near. Repent and believe the good news. Like, ex- dramatic words, right? Exciting words, like, yeah, words. But when I think about these words in relation to the first disciples, I imagine, I suspect, it didn't look like much that the kingdom of God had come very near to them at that point in their lives or that it was at hand for those who were first called to be Jesus' disciples. And I think for us to fully kind of understand this and to grasp it, to appreciate it, the significance of their response based on that, we must consider not only what these fishermen were being asked to take on, but actually what they were being asked to leave behind and the reality of the world that they were actually living in. I mean, they still had to work long, hard hours in the heat to scrape out like a, a living Whatever challenges they had at home, well, they were still there when they went there, weren't they? Whatever unfulfilled dreams they entertained, well, they were no longer, they were no um, closer to being realized at that point. Rome was still in power. That's great news. Uh, 
you know, occupied nation. Herod was a brutal puppet leader. Then we've got Pontius Pilate, you know, ruling with an iron fist from Judea. So only when you start to think about these realities and what's really going on in their life at that point, and then what they're being asked to leave behind, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, and then this totally unknown future that Jesus is saying, hey, come and join me in this, do you start to understand just how earth-shattering this little story is? How world-changing two little words like follow me can actually be. Leave everything you've ever known, all your security, oh, and your family too, which was everything in that culture, by the way. Oh, and the family business too, just to kind of add some you know, insult to the injury there while you're at it. And then responding to Jesus, there's no assurances, are there? There's no guarantees of fame, fortune, or success. What they do find along the way as we read further in the Gospels is, yep, they get their fair share of rejection, danger, and suffering as they attempt to follow out this call that Jesus invites them into. As the story unfolds, doesn't it? These important characters, they persistently misunderstand Jesus. They disappear when he's crucified. And whatever they understand or believe about Jesus at this point in the story that we've heard this morning they eventually almost totally fully forget down the track. I came across this quote that kind of puts it like this. His name's Lee Barrett, he's a preacher. He says, like the disciples, we are called not to the enjoyment of a private salvation. I think that's a word for the Western church. But to a public vocation. And there is a massive difference between those two sets of words. Like them, we are summoned by God to leave our parents' house, however you define what that means, uh, abandoning self-interest, security, and social approval. Just as it did for the disciples, the command to follow me points to the way of the cross for us. We too are called to a life of risk, insecurity, and self-denial. Just let those words sink in a bit this morning. And I wanna ask you some questions. I want you to reflect on these. What have you left behind? to follow Jesus? How have you responded to Jesus' call to to follow him? And not just historically, but what about now? So even though Mark here in his story paints this uh, picture, if you like, of uh, the disciples move to follow Jesus as impulsive and, and, and immediate, it's happening now. I can't help but wonder if their decision was actually the product of extended heart searching and restlessness in their lives and hearts. And I think that's maybe a heart searching that many of you uh, have experienced actually in some point in your life. Maybe you're going through this right now. There's a restlessness, there's a searching, there's a longing or a desire that's growing in you for something more or something different. And I believe God has an important task for every single one of us here in this church God calls every single one of us into something that is worthy and bigger than ourselves. That every Christian has an invitation to use the gifts and the strengths and the abilities that we've been given in a whole variety of ways and through a whole variety of roles because you think about how many different needs are there in the world right now? Heaps, so many. And for some people, when you think about call or vocation, it's pretty straightforward for some people. You ask people, like, how did you work out what you were doing with your life or where it was going or following this whole God thing? And they somehow have just always known since, I don't know, way back in the day. And I find that very annoying. These people, so that's, I mean, it's great if that's you. That's so cool. But it's very annoying. Other people share about maybe more of a dramatic experience, like a single moment in time 
revealing this kind of sense of, hey, this is where I should go. This is what I should do next. I feel really strongly to do this. And they kind of step out and into it. And that's awesome too, but also annoying. But I'd suggest that's not the experience of every person in this room right now. Uh, It's definitely not my experience. I think a lot of us have to do some holy detective work to kind of figure and wrestle this stuff out with God, with ourselves, and with others. For me, working it out or working out this kind of God calling on my life, it wasn't like a single moment in time, like the dramatic moment thing. Uh, it wasn't an audible voice from on high or a lovely burning bush as I got off the you know, 24-hour bus in Balmoral or something, even though God can and does do that, actually. For me, it was this process over time, uh, wrestling with it, Lots of thoughts, lots of conversations, lots of prayers, lots of frustration. And it took shape through a variety of different experiences, actually, that led for me to this undeniable growing inner reality or sense of feeling compelled like a magnet, drawn to this ministry thing. And it just, I couldn't, I couldn't let it go. I couldn't let it drop. I couldn't put it down. And I couldn't walk away from it either. And I needed to figure it out. Otherwise, I would just have the sense of restlessness and unsatisfaction. I just knew I wouldn't let go of that if I didn't kind of walk it through. I could share stories with you this morning of uh, significant crossroads moments in my life that happened along the way that helped me steer me in the right direction towards God's call for my life. Uh, Like the time I was on sabbatical in Vancouver at Regent Bible College 13 years ago, I was just visiting some friends, having a a chill time, and they were studying at Regent, and they said, hey, why don't you come and sit in on one of the papers? I'm like, no, thanks, that sounds not that great. He's like, I'll book you in. I'm like, no, I'm cool, eh? And he booked me in, so then I had to turn up to the course, and it was this guy, you may have heard of him. If you haven't, you should check him out. He is incredible. Gordon Fee, an incredible New Testament uh, scholar. And the first few days I was sitting there and all this information was coming my way and I was just thinking, wow, this is, mm, it's good. But also, whoa, what is this guy talking about? What planet are you from? And then by about the third, fourth day, I am biting my tongue, almost producing blood because I don't want to burst into tears sitting in these lectures in, at, uh, in, in Vancouver because it's just absolutely uh, making me come alive on the inside. And I feel like, oh my gosh, I'm going to break down in a lecture theater at a Bible college wrong with you? It awakened in me a passion to understand the Bible more that I'd not fully realized before that moment in time, actually. Uh, And as as a result of that, the experience left me feeling that God was drawing me out, drawing me to something newer, something else, something deeper than what I'd been doing before that, even though where or what that looked like, I had no, I didn't have a complete idea yet. And I need to say here too that when we're trying to work out our vocation or our calls in life, it's got to be a collective discernment process. You can't just do it on your own and go, God's called me to do this and off I go. Because you've got to have people around you that you know and trust that can speak into that with you and work that out with you, test that call with you. Because it's not always clear and it's not always easy and it's definitely not comfortable. If you take anything, just hold on to that discomfort. I often had moments of thinking, I have totally got this wrong. Rach, let's go do something else. Let's have a glass of wine and talk this through one more time because I'm just not feeling this. I had crisis of confidence. I thought about giving up because it can be really demanding. It can be really draining. It can be discouraging when we try and step into what God fully has for us. But what I have found super helpful and really um, reassuring is also the gift of hindsight where you can look back. And if you're open to it, you can see that God has been on the move. You can see God's hand 
or leading and nudging and prompting in your life. Um, A favorite quote of mine goes like this, again and again, when I look back with some kind of true perspective, I was deeply aware of a presence, a wisdom, a gracious influence, an operative power, a gentle and loving helper accompanying me and using my efforts and even my failures, I love that, to achieve purposes I had not dreamed of being possible. That's a quote from my granddad uh, from a book that he wrote when he was reflecting on his uh, ministry and missionary work after 50 years of being a Presbyterian minister. He said it better than I ever could, so I was going, let's just chuck that up because he says it better. That said, um, after Sally's talk last week, I, it's so important for us here to re- reiterate that God wants to speak to us in the here and now, in the present, through others, through the prophetic movement of the Spirit. And when I think about um, words of encouragement or prophecy or pictures spoken over me, I cannot deny the key part that they have played in my life in giving me the courage to actually step out in the first place and to trust God's call for my life. So I wanna ask you, who has impacted you the most in the story of your call to follow Jesus? Encourage you this week to kind of really think that through. And if certain people come to mind, why don't you pray for those people? who have had a significant impact on you in your faith journey. Number two, how did they help you grow or gain greater clarity as you have worked out what God's vocation for you is? Think about that, pray about that, talk about that. Reconnect with what that is. And number three, what words or pictures of encouragement or wisdom or direction have been prayed over you? There's a preacher called Martin Copenhaver and he says that a key way of beginning to find out what God has in mind for you is to understand that God calls us to the place where our particular gifts intersect with the world's greatest needs. I'll give you a picture if you're visual. Look at the picture, there it is. We are in a unique time where we as Christians not you know, need not only know what our gifts are, but we need to create courageously and actively use them, put them into practice, and where they intersect with the needs that are around us, that we see going on. And this usually happens in small local ways, but also in international ways, like DFN have shared with us this morning. What needs around you might God be calling, uh, speaking to you about right now that you see going on around you with your neighbors and your communities and your, your workplaces your universities. That said, I wanna say something really important here. It's simple as, but I think it's really important. I think most of us, for most of us, the needs of the world are really obvious, right? You look out there and go, wow, there's a lot of needs, yep. But I think sometimes they're more obvious than our own gifts and what we have to bring. So I wanna ask you, could you just do the next slide, please? not there. I'll ask you the question, how might you gain a better sense of what your gifts and passions are? And if you're not sure, when was the last time you asked those in your life who you know and who you trust about that? Let them speak into your life. How can you grow in your self-awareness this year or your core strength so you know what you have to offer when the opportunity arises? Have you ever engaged with um, tools like Strength Finders or the Enneagram? 
they are just really helpful tools at working out, giving you more clarity about, about this. If you haven't, why not look into these? For me, it's been so helpful kind of working out with strength finders that my core strengths revolve around relationship building and um, executing rather than influencing and strategic thinking. It's good to know that. I wish I had all four, but I just don't. Or that as an Enneagram number four, otherwise known as the romantic individualist, you're welcome. I strive to be, uh, at, this, at my best, I strive to be true to myself. I try to inspire others to be the same. Um, I can be emotionally honest. I can be a great listener. I'm not afraid to be vulnerable before others. I'm intuitive. I'm creative. I love to bring a sense of beauty and emotional riches to the world around me at my best. I'm not going to go into too much detail about what happens when I'm at my worst, but it does explain why I love Coldplay so, so much. Can you cue that Coldplay um, album? That'll be great. No. So having a better understanding of these gifts within myself actually helps me to be a better pastor, weirdly enough. To know that these temperaments and strengths fit quite well with that calling too is super helpful as well. But it also helps me know where I need to keep growing too, which is, again, really important. What strengths I don't have. I want to say, say two more quick things about calling. The first thing is that someone's vocation is not necessarily the same thing as their job. Did you get that? Someone's vocation is not necessarily the same thing as someone's job. Some people find their vocation in the workplace while others sense God's calling in other areas of their lives. That's super important to grasp. The second thing is although we may not know what, to, you know, what we have to do for the rest of our lives, you can actually have a pretty good sense of what you can do next. There's a cool quote that says, God does not so much give us a searchlight than a pen light. That that next little step, God can just unfold it with you along the way if we trust and are open to that. So one of the best ways to kind of discern your calling or to get a better clarity on your true vocation is to not hold too tightly to your own ideas. That's not Coldplay, sorry, just turn that right off. Coldplay only, it's important. Yeah, good. Is it the lead singer from Coldplay? I've been stalking him for ages. He never returns my, my MySpace requests. Anyway, <clears throat> it's important not to hold too tightly to your own ideas about what you think God has for your life. At the same time, it's important to not kind of adopt too many other people's ideas about what you should do and be in your life. So long as, this is critical, you, are, are, you welcome the helpful observations of those who you trust in your life. So I think we're not always the best at understanding our own gifts, just putting it honestly and plainly. We need those around us to help us kind of get a better sense of that, right? But whatever the setting is, whatever your calling is, whatever the vocation might be for you, your purpose is found at the intersection of the world's greatest needs and your gifts, at that kind of sweet spot between those two. Just like Pastor Mick found, or eventually came to find, as God kind of got a hold of his life and turned it around. You'll know that you found that intersection too when there's a sense of rightness and like timing and good fit. But I think above all of those three things, there'll be a sense of joy as well. Doesn't mean it'll all be plain sailing. Doesn't mean it'll be sweet as all the time or without challenge or hardships, because it will. So to close, I wanna ask, what holy detective work might you need to do in order to follow the call Jesus has for you right now or for this year? or for moving into the future. What holy detective work might you need to do?
because in order to know the story and then to actually have courage to tell the story, let alone be the story, and to do that well, we need to know our part in it. And we need to choose to then to play our part in this story with courage and with a sense of peace, but also a sense of action too. So far more than questions that I wanna fire at you this morning, I wanna offer you an invitation. If the band could come back up, that'd be great. Jesus in our passage is not just asking the disciples to kind of add another to-do list to their already stressful and busy lives. He's actually calling them to a whole new way of being and seeing in the world. And I think that's the call and the invitation for us this morning. God is inviting you into a whole new way of being and seeing and then therefore operating in this world. I got emailed this um, passage during the week from Jeremiah. It says, this is what the Lord says, stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. I think some of us here today are at a real cross, crossroads time in your life that you are wrestling, that you feel stuck with your sense of call or vocation or direction right now or for this year. I also think there are some of you here who are searching, heart searching, restless, wondering what it looks like for you to follow Jesus into your future beyond this year. And I think you need some peace or some wisdom, some clarity about, about that. There are people here who have a really clear sense of what God's called you to do or to be. And you're already doing that in some shape or form, but you need a fresh dose of courage or encouragement to continue in that vocation because you're feeling a bit weary maybe or disillusioned or discouraged right now. I think there's a few people here who feel like God hasn't actually got a vacation for them at all if you're honest with yourself, or that you've never discovered what God's specific call to you is, and there's a sense of grief or anxiety or disappointment around that. There's an invitation here from God this morning to you to do some holy detective work this year on that. And then there's some of you here, you just know what you're called to do, and you're actually really happy in that right now, which is great. But I would challenge you too, if that's you, to not just go, cool, this, now this applies to me, I'm sweet, I'm off the hook. I would challenge you to ask God this morning, is there anything else you have in mind for me this year? Is there another holy task that you want me to courageously step into? Because if there is, let me know and I'll, I'll have a crack at doing it. Or maybe like Pastor Mick, there's an area in your life that you just long for God to redeem or to restore for you. So we're just gonna open up the front of the church here. It's just a space for people to come forward and, and receive prayer. We're gonna ask God where the good way is. We're gonna ask God, how do we walk in this? Help us to do that.